It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield as she is attending the mid-year meeting for the Nebraska Cattlemen. Sure, be sure to be listening for uh, the reports out from that event. A lot of great information and uh, policies being set there for the cattlemen here mid-year. Talking to the trade with us here today, of course, is Arlen Suderman with StoneX. And Arlen, it is always a, a good day to be able to talk the markets with you and kind of get a feel of what's all going on in the trade. Uh, as we come into the close for a Wednesday, we definitely a laggard to the downside as it kind of helped pull and put some pressure on the rest of the grain complex as well. It seems that this is kind of coming back from a global price perspective. The dollar's been high. Uh, we've got the Black Sea trade agreement. So is there any kind of good news maybe on the horizon that can help turn this wheat market, or is it one where we've still got quite a bit of downside potential here? I think we've still got quite a bit of downside potential. I know no one wants to hear that, especially those who have been impacted by the drought with the crops not looking good, and specifically you're talking here wheat. Um, but right now Russia continues to dump cheap wheat on the world market, and that really sets the tone for the world. It's difficult for us to rally too much if uh, you're seeing cheap wheat coming out of Russia continue to do so. And uh, today started the Goldman roll where the funds uh, kind of roll their positions. And in this case, it kind of contributed to the negative tone that we're seeing with the exception of soybeans. Um, and and well, I also look at uh, Chicago wheat, even though hard red winter wheat traded in the Kansas City market is the dominant wheat class. The Chicago market sets the tone oftentimes. And if you look at that Chicago, those Chicago charts, the lead July contract kind of went up close to the top of the, the, uh, the de- descending channel on the charts. It's really contained prices over the last six months on yesterday, in yesterday's trade, couldn't push through it. Um, today and so they turn sellers. That's you know, and the market doesn't make money. The funds don't make money in a stagnant market. But if, so if they can't go higher, they'll take it lower. And that's been the trend, as I said, over the last six plus months. And uh, we're still in that trend with nothing to really to force a change in direction. There's a lot to keep in mind when it comes to it, and really it kind of seems like we're going to be talking about the W's all the way around. We start here in the wheat complex. For row crops, though, it seems that it's WASD and weather maybe the best ways to look at that. And uh, uh, Arlen, let's go ahead and start with the WASD report, the World Outlook uh, supply and demand numbers that are coming out on Friday. We know Brazil has a big crop coming in, maybe some concerns, though, here about the U.S. production. What does USDA do with this fighting both sides of the trade? Well, you mentioned the big crop in Brazil. We've already seen the effect of that on soybeans, um, and now we're starting to feel the effect of it on corn. Uh, as we go forward, I anticipate that we'll see USDA start to price in some aspects of returning soy meal demand to the United States with the big drought in Argentina that shortened their crop. We've been seeing a resurgence in demand for soy meal here over the last month. USDA may start to reflect that and increase uh, their crush estimate for soybeans. Uh, and exports, I think eventually we could end up a little short there, but I think USDA will probably leave it alone in this report. But that would be a net reduction, really, in soybean stocks if they increase crush then in that type of scenario. Corn, on the other hand, uh, we're way behind where we should be uh, from a seasonal standpoint at USDA's target. 
We've been narrowing the gap a little bit with some strong shipments in recent weeks. I think that'll continue for a few more weeks until that the newly harvested corn in Brazil hits the ports and becomes available to the world market. And then I think that'll end. And I think USDA is well justified to cut exports by about 60 million bushels. And in fact, I think they could cut ethanol use of corn by another 40 million as well. So that combined would be a 100 million bushel drop in, in demand. And so uh, that would increase ending stocks if they were to do that tomorrow. Will they do that or Friday? Will they do that on Friday? I don't know. They could certainly justify doing it. I think they'll have to do it eventually. And so the trade not wanting to take that chance and which way they'll go, pretty much spreading uh, old crop soybeans against old crop corn. Um, but in the end, the new crop contracts are really under the pressure of a changing weather pattern. And that right there, you bring it up, this changing weather pattern. It always seems like we're waiting for these noontime model updates just to see where it wants to take the day's trade. Illinois starts off with a 50% good to excellence rating this week when it comes to row crops. Uh, we're starting off well below where we were a year ago in some key production areas. Uh, that has the trade's attention. Is it enough to hold it right now? And what do you see more on a longer-term weather outlook? Well, based on being in this ag business for the last four decades, uh, one of the things I've learned is the futures market is a futures market. They don't trade today's dryness. They trade the weather forecast two weeks out. And even this week's forecast is now turning much wetter for much of the Midwest. I think there's still risk of missing out on some of the rains here in the northwestern 30% or so of the corn acreage that we have. Um, The 10-day outlook kind of fills in those dry areas, although confidence is lower in it, but that'll be critical. We do see a significant cool down as well. But if we look at the development of El Nino, this is what we've been expecting for nearly the last month, that when we'd get to the second week of June, which we're now going to be moving into, that we would see this pivot in the weather pattern that would give us a more mild summer with a more active rain pattern. We're still not confident in that in the northwestern 30% or so of the belt. We'll have to watch that. Uh, But overall, that's what the market is now focused on. Dry near term, but if those rains come in, the prospect that we could still get a, a big crop relative to demand, which I think is going to be very soft in the coming year, especially for corn. And again, as Arlen Suderman, Chief Economist with StoneX, as we're talking on the Fontenelle final bell. Don't go anywhere, though. We still have segment two coming up, and that's where we're going to dive into this cattle market, the uh, higher cash trade that we see trying to get going in the country as well. Uh, we may pick Arlen's brain a little bit deeper when it comes to China and some of that latest export data from China that came out overnight and what its broader implications are to the economy. You're listening to the Fontenelle final bell on the Rural Radio Network. As you've probably heard, there will be some changes coming for Fontenelle hybrids. Bear Crop Science has announced Fontenelle will be joining 10 Bear Seed brands to launch the new Enhanced Channel Seed brand. You'll get the same excellent products and service you come to expect from Fontenelle, along with expanded product offerings and increased agronomy support. You'll still be able to purchase your trusted Fontenelle products for 2024, and rest assured we'll work hard to continue to earn your business through this transition. Read and follow pesticide label directions, green marketing, and other stewardship practices. Fontenelle and Channel are trademarks of Bear Group. 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton again in for Susan Littlefield. Don't worry, she'll be back tomorrow. But I'm excited to talk the trade today with Arlen Suderman of StoneX. And Arlen, in our first segment, really focusing on kind of the fundamental aspects of this grain complex. Let's look more at a macro market picture. Some big data coming out overnight into the Wednesday trade for our uh, China when it comes to their exports. And it really looks like the Chinese economy is still very sluggish. They're not getting as much product put out as they saw a drastic near 8% drop in overall consumer exports. What's the impact here to the global economy with that type of data as well? Does that have any implications on the import side when it comes to commodities for uh, for China? It really does. And, and we're seeing a couple things at work. First of all, China's economy is struggling um, to come back out of COVID. Consumer confidence is relatively low. They're not spending money on big ticket items, so to speak. Some similarities here in the United States, but I think we're on a healthier base right now. Uh, as, as we look at then, they have an export-based economy, whereas we're more of a consumer-based economy. Their export-based economy is also struggling um, because they're very dependent on export of goods and services to United States and Europe. And with deglobalization and and kind of moving production of manufacturing home and to other sources outside of China because of the increased tensions with China, that is really hurting their ability to recover as well. So if we look at this pattern developing customs data that came out today in China showed that overall their exports fell seven and a half percent year on year in May, which exceeded analysts' expectations of a four tenths of a percent decline. Now if you break it down from the United States into Europe, China's trade with Europe fell three point seven percent year on year in May, um, and that's a, a a growth in the dec- rate of decline. Trade with the United States fell twelve point three percent versus 11.2% in April. Uh, they are doing more trade with South, the Southeast Asian Nations Group that they've been putting together, as well as those countries that are part of uh, the Belt and Road Program that they've been investing in, and uh, also in- dramatically increasing trade with Russia. But that can't offset the lost trade with the U.S. and America, or in Europe. Now, looking at ag specifically, they imported 12 million metric tons of soybeans in May. That's up 34% year-on-year. That brings year-to-date imports up 38 to 38 million metric tons, up 11.2% year-on-year. Now, scheduled loadings for shipment to China currently suggests that imports of 13 million metric ton will arrive in June, 11 million metric tons in July, and 9 to 10 million metric tons in August. That puts a three-month total 12 million metric tons more than the same period a year ago, or up 35-plus percent. Considering the current demand, which is very soft in China right now for soy meal, that's going to leave them a big surplus of beans to carry over into the fall to reduce what they need to buy from the United States in the coming marketing year. And another reason why I think USDA's export target for the 23-24 marketing year that starts on September 1 is too aggressive, and I think we're going to see softer demand from the export market front going forward, even as crush does improve with the renewable diesel industry. 
As Arlen as well, let's talk uh, the livestock side of the trade. This cattle market is wild, especially when you look at the fed cattle cash trade this week. Uh, in Nebraska, we've seen it trade as high as $300. Bids in Iowa today at 302 so a 10 to $12 higher market once again this week. But it looks like maybe we're setting a blow-off top here in the charts. What do you make of the cattle market? Yeah, I think that's a risk. Overall, we knew that supplies are going to be tight. They got tighter a little quicker than what we anticipated. The two great extent because of the winter that we had that kind of took some production off the table. Um, but we are tightening up those supplies. Now, with the weather pattern changing in much of the western half of the country, we're going to start rebuilding cow herds. That means holding back heifers, make it an even tighter. So the job of the market then is to ration demand with higher prices to pull consumer buying back. We are starting to see that happen. Happen first with export demand. That is really pulled back. Now we're starting to see the U.S. consumers start to move down the value chain a little bit from beef to pork to poultry. And so we are seeing that. The question is how we balance that out. We've seen choice cuts really surge this week in price and, and over the last month, really, uh, starting to have some effect on the consumer purchasing power. We still are looking for higher cash prices this week, but there's some sense in a trade. Maybe we're getting close. The market was very overbought, and so we did see some profit-taking coming in today. Uh, but it's yet to be seen whether we can go higher yet. We're going to be watching that consumer demand. Arlen, you bring up the consumer, and regardless, the protein market, the cattle and hog market, it goes back to consumer choice, consumer demand. Uh, this morning, the Bank of Canada went ahead and raised their interest rates after a pause. Fed funds are starting to lean towards another interest rate here in the U.S. How much further can we go before we really see the U.S. consumer pull back in this concern about a recession in the U.S. economy? We've been worrying about a recession for more than a year, about 15 months. It hasn't happened yet, except in the manufacturing sector, housing sector. And it comes down to we still have too much stimulus still in the economy. So the Fed is going to do what it has to do to get that stimulus out, to get the consumer to slow down, to bring the jobs market into balance. Arlen, it's always uh, folks can follow you along on Twitter and really get a lot of this data as it comes out. And once you're following in the markets, what's your Twitter handle and the best way to follow? Arlen, FF101 on Twitter. Again, that is Arlen Suderman, Chief Economist with Stonex, joining us here on the Fontenelle Final Bell. Thank you to Fontenelle Hybrids for their continuing support here of the Fontenelle Final Bell. You can always catch this as a podcast each and every afternoon when you head on over to RuralRadioNetwork.com. Do remember, though, that train futures and options involve risk of loss. May not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.